Friends, it's true, you know. Personal, local, global wellness. You may now begin the course. The emotional response to love. It's awfully important. Is usually the result of a Columbia family. A show of affection. Redefining what health means for you. And the real fundamental you, you, you. Well, if you'd like a place where there's never a dull moment, choose the right flavor of wellness for you. Syndacy Wellness, host of the personal, local, global wellness show. Hey there, everyone. June Syndacy here with Brett from Exhale Meditation. Um... This is a very exciting show today because I don't know Brett that well. We met on Instagram and um, I just really resonated with how he, he really creates an organic bridge to connect to meditation, awareness, and finding peace on the inside, not the outside. Brett has a lot of cool technological things going on from him, his side if we hear little things happening. Um, a little intro. Welcome to the Personal Local Global Wellness Show. I'm June Syndacy, your host, and I work at Syndacy Wellness, uh, helping people move from overwhelm, anxiety, and stressful lifestyles where they feel under the gun all the time to a place of peace, comfort, and calm using stress management skills and techniques that I teach as well as nutrition analysis. I do a lot of deep dives into gut health as well. On today's show, I'm going to read our little title. We have Brett, and we're going to discuss how awareness is our greatest tool for change. Thank you so much for joining us, Brett. Thanks for having me. I've, uh, I feel like I've followed you on Instagram for a while, and I was always very impressed with your energy, particularly your videos in the kitchen. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, think the first, I think the first thing that I saw by you was a video in the kitchen. I don't remember what it was about, but there was something about your aura in the moment that I was like, man, that girl's got something going on. Thank you. Um, I've been, I, I love that. And I love that I'm chatting to a male because my partner and I, he and I have been chatting and I really struggle to want to post a lot of things that my friends do with a lot of skin and, you know, kind of eyes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know it sells, but yeah. I feel like, I lost weight, like 30 pounds. I've worn wigs since I was young, was bald. I've had a lot of body image issues. And what I feel really counts and stands true is just the energy of the moment. What's really funny about those kitchen videos is as a nutritionist and an avid researcher on nutrition and the microbiome, I don't really like cooking that much. I had to, like, finally, I had this <clears throat> diagnosis of polycystic ovary, um, issues where I was having a lot of cysts that were having me blackout and pain. And I needed to say, where is going to be the easiest road possible to start to eat differently? And I had to order these like frozen meal service plans and get a thermos and throw it in the oven and have it be as easy as possible to eat dairy free, mm -hmm. gluten free. Uh, for me, I started on the autoimmune paleo diet. Um, and, and then I started getting more into cooking. It was from the research not from the kitchen that kind of led me into uh, my passion to change and everyone's different but those videos are very amusing because i'm literally feeling like such a fraud it's incorrect in my association of what a nutritionist should be but i'm like i'm not really a kitchen person i'm trying to become one um 
and I'm like learning these recipes as I teach them or make a silly video out of them when I'm teaching about nutrition. So I think we are all paradoxes. I think we are all a little bit of everything. Um, that's funny. That's good to know. Um, and Brett knows with my oral history background that these aren't always the average interviews that we'll just riff off each other and share our own stories as different themes come up. So, um, Brett, would you be open to going deep from the beginning, from the get-go and sharing a little bit about some of your painful times that have led you into this incredible work that you do, a story or two or anything sure. else is coming sure, up? Yeah. Um, and we'll uh, go more into what you do as well. Or you can just introduce yourself, whatever you want. Uh, okay, well, I'm Barrett. Uh, I run the Meditation Self-Awareness page. Done so for a while, currently writing a book. Um, but I, I found that when I first started the page, I didn't really want to put my face on it. I didn't really want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about the message. But I think that that does a disservice to the message because people want to connect with an individual June, much like you're asking the question about my individual story, words on a page don't really mean anything and don't really reach us unless we're really seeing and resonating with the individual that's living it. And uh, I've been doing that for about two years now. But what got me into the space was essentially unhappiness. Um, I've been very fortunate to come from a home where I was very well loved, very well taken care of. So I never really had to worry about my physical needs being taken care of. But that didn't really help me feel happy or feel peaceful or at ease or self-secure. And there came a point in my life in my early 20s where I was just really tired of, of kind of living in a baseline level of despair, it felt like. Um, that was kind of independent from my circumstances. It didn't really matter uh, how I was doing in college or who I was dating or what direction I was going or what party was happening that weekend at the time. I would just carry around this kind of low baseline level of being down that I could pull myself out of every now and then, but it was the baseline and then I would, I would go back to it. And it's a tough time in our lives, uh, early 20s, when we're trying to figure out who we are, but it was a time where I really started to see with real clarity um, you know, it doesn't really matter what we're doing in the world or how much money we're making uh, if we don't like who we are, because we're going to take who we are into any career, into any relationship. And if we're a bad person, uh, and if we feel ourselves to be a bad person or an unloving space or an unhappy space, what, what good does doing anything out in the world do? And what good can we actually do in the world? So there came a very, uh, pivotal moment for me when I was out on a walk in a park and I, w I was feeling up when I went to the park. It was a Saturday. I think the leaves were changing. It was beautiful, but then nothing really happened. But then I kind of started to return back to that baseline of just being down for no reason. And I stopped what I was doing and I came to a real clarity moment. And I said to myself, I don't want to live life this way anymore. I'm tired of this. It doesn't matter what's going on. If I keep continuing to feel this way, no matter where I go or what I do, what's the point in doing anything? So that day on that walk, I kind of dedicated myself to 
finding whatever was out there to, to address it. And I didn't know anything about meditation. I didn't know anything about spirituality outside of the tradition I was raised in, Christianity. But that day I really opened myself up to anything that was out there that could help me address this. And much, much like June, you said when we were talking before we went live, I do not pretend to be a finished product. I do not pretend to be living this moment by moment in every single relationship and corner of my life. But it has been a beautiful journey to take more agency over my life and over my internal state and seeing really how much happiness and how much peace you can manufacture in the world when you're living from somewhere that's more true than just your thinking and your feeling that are always riding this roller coaster all the time. I love the word agency that you use because I think more now than ever with the political and the um, health climate that people are feeling they don't have a lot of self-responsibility as part of the equation. That it's kind of like everything in the world is crumbling around us. Um, and I, I had an example yesterday. <laughs> Barrett knew that I celebrated my one-year anniversary with my partner, and I wanted to go see this certain trail on these certain leaves, and I, I had all these expectations I was grasping. And he and I, because he's a very clear reflection this morning, he was like, I feel like we actually needed to go inward and get present to just experience being in the car together on the way to the trail. And that agency, I think a lot of the time, whether it's a big thing, like our world is changing all around us and um, standards of how we're supposed to live or how we're supposed to interact um, and how we can gather are, are changing or just one day where we want to love another and we can't be cognizant or present enough to do that. I think that it can really um, kind of spread across all categories of our lives, this awareness that I'm really excited to dive into the topic of. Um, and I think that is such a, a brilliant, beautiful story because I want to make sure this is working. We have a little, we're trying some technical things here today. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included, I really wanted a big awakening moment. And I was doing oh, yeah. Of yeah. martial arts, Zen, right. Taoist training in my early 20s where I wanted to levitate and I wanted my third eye to open and I wanted to see colors and all of my past lives. And it was actually a reaching in my life, including now and still today. Like I, I like how you expressed, I'm not this is a focus that I'm training uh, my awareness skills, but I'm not that in all corners of my life and anyone around me 24 seven can attest to that. I have this, I have this pattern and I'm continually working on it of reaching. And I think with awareness, we think that we're going to get to this plateau of just bliss or presence all the time. And that, I didn't start to value until I broke my back a couple years ago and had to really be set still bedridden for a couple months that I want to be as like high as I am low and that I, that I want to be grounded so that I can experience bliss. And so when your story exemplified to me that it was just an average day, 
You were just going for a walk. Yeah, you didn't pay $3,000 to go on an ayahuasca journey or go to India. You were just living your life, but an internal switch went off that I think people and myself included, sometimes we forget that it can be a willingness and an open-minded that can shift at any moment. And I really didn't understand the concept of wherever I am, that I, there I go and thought if I go to an exotic place or I do an exotic, you know, something out of the ordinary kind of meditation retreat, then I might have an, a high there. But what you've shown and what we're trying to do as practitioners is to weave it into our everyday. Yeah. We can have that moment and then you'll lead us through in this interview what that weaving has looked like and what that daily practice looks like to actually start to change the brain chemistry, you know, the nervous system and all of that. Um, For sure. Yeah, because meditation at the end of the day isn't really doing any good for us if we don't take it out the front door when we go out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us don't understand that initially. I, you know, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about meditation as a whole. Uh, it's not just sitting quietly with your eyes closed for hours on end. It's a state of being from which you, you eventually, you practice sitting quietly because that's where it's the easiest to access the agency that we're talking about. When you're less distracted by the world, you're less distracted by your thoughts and by your emotions. But it's meant to be something that's just a building block for you to carry into your relationships and into every role that life is asking of you. Yes, I love that. And I think that let's start with our first question, defining and you know, explaining what is meditation, because I think so many people have a lot of misconceptions around it. And I have one friend who I had on the interview. Um, her name is Margus Mati. She's a sound healer and cosmic light speaker in Sedona. She said when she first started meditating, I don't know how many years ago, she couldn't close her eyes. At first, she just sat in a park and allowed her eyes to, to look at things. And so I'd love to hear how you'd unpack, you know, your definition of meditation and, and that it can be a lot more tangible than people. Yeah. it. Uh, it can be. And in fact, it's kind of the most tangible thing in the world, but it's very difficult to approach and explain. The most useful way that I've been able to explain it is that we come into this world like an empty glass. And being this empty, open space of awareness, this open space of experience, that's the happiest for 90% of us, that's the happiest we have ever been, and that's the happiest we will ever be, is our first couple years of coming into the world, being this open, empty glass. And as we get a little bit older, we start to have a little bit of our parents pour a little bit of the contents of their glass into us, a little bit of our school teachers, our grandparents, our community pour a little bit of their glass, which are essentially opinions, preferences, biases, education, and we come to a certain point where we start to identify more with the contents of what's inside of us than the actual class itself. And then we go out into the world looking for, looking for meaning, looking for happiness through those same contents. So we see, you know, the popular kids in high school have something different in their glass than I do. They have different opinions and different personalities and ways of relating. 
and it's popular and they seem happy. So, okay, maybe if I had a little bit of their glass poured into me, then I'd be happy. So I try it, but then I see that's, that's not really authentic. That's not really me. And it doesn't come through me freely. So then maybe I turn to a relationship and I try to get this relationship to pour a little bit of love into my glass. But I see that in the, at the end of the day, that's something that's going to come and go as well. And whether that's re, that relationship ends up in a marriage or not, it's going to fluctuate as far as the ebbs and flows of two people relating. And so at the end of the day, happiness is returning back to that empty glass, which is our true aware selves that is always in this moment. And that's what meditation actually is, is just withdrawing attention from the contents, from the objects of thought that arise in our heads, from the objects of emotion that arise within the body, and from the world, and really just collapsing into what we actually changelessly are. So meditation starts as a practice, something that we sit down to do, but then at the end of the day, meditation is actually another name for us because we're withdrawing attention from what we aren't and giving it back into what we always have been. I love that. I love the glass um, example. Do you want to chat a bit on awareness consciousness if people aren't really familiar with I always like to go down to um, beginner level. I wasn't aware, I'll chat on it a little bit, of the fact that my thoughts were not real and that my thoughts were not me. Uh, and probably started practicing that about, oh God, maybe nine years ago now. Um, and I didn't, honor the fact that my brain was an electrical unit that was just going to generate a lot of thoughts and that my awareness I can choose to put in a certain thought stream and then go down and that will also affect my um, <laughs> nervous system and the way I'm holding my body and yeah. just the way I'm breathing, my autotomics, like everything just starts, I, I, I will start contorting in a certain way and what I try to practice is like how did I get to where I am and the feeling that I'm in, what was the thought stream? But um, do you want to chat a bit about the observer consciousness versus the monkey mind concept? Uh, sure, yeah. The monkey mind is definitely uh, a very strong reality. I think a lot of people say that I can't meditate because I can't get my mind to stop running. And I think that's true for all of us. I think that's a very human, honest admission when we're starting this journey. And when we recognize uh, that we would like to start a meditation practice. And to me, that's a great understanding because it shows, okay, this is a real problem. I can't disidentify and I cannot stop my mind. And my mind is what is really affecting everything about the way that I interface and the, the way that I relate to the world. It's defining who I am in my experience. So being able to see that I can't stop my mind is a wonderful first step that actually should be very celebrated from my perspective. Because until we see that, we're not really going to want to disidentify and we're not really going to want to try to be the observer of our thoughts or, or search for anything deeper. But uh, 
the difference kind of like I was saying with the glass is becoming more and more aware of how thoughts are really always changing. That thoughts are like waves on the top of the ocean, but that there is just like to the ocean, there's a deeper reality. There's a deeper reality to us as well. And that reality is awareness. We could say that awareness is actually life. A lot of things can be removed from me and I'm still here. I can move to a different place. I can enter a new relationship. I can have another job. Uh, I can shave my head. I can lose an arm. A lot of different things can happen to me. I can be homeless. But at the end of the day, there's only one thing that can't ever be removed from me because that is awareness. That is my just present moment awareness. And it's so close to us. And it's so what we're looking out from, we're looking out at thoughts, we're looking out at feelings, and from those we're looking out at the world. And it's so near that we miss it. But it is, it is free from the thoughts and it is free from the feelings. It is peace itself because it is independent from the actual conditions and the changes that happen in the world. And I don't want to get too... Uh, no, I think it's great where you're going. Okay. I, 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 I tend to get too theoretical and too uh, in my own space about it. Uh, so it's somewhat difficult to, to make it more practical, I think, but that's what people need. But at the end of the day, it is, it is honestly just the recognition that there's one part of me that never changes and every other aspect of life is change. The world is change. Thought is change. Emotion is change. And if you stick your flag in any of those and identify with any of these things, that's where real suffering enters the world and enters our lives. Because we don't have any real stable footing or stable ground from which we're able to go out and meet the world. Exactly. And I've seen it so much in my life and help people lear learn to manage it as well, which would be under the umbrella of stress management for me. But if I'm not grounded in a place of calm, I don't really move to action in a very, mm, I'd say, productive way. Right. When I'm scattered, I, I break things. Literally, I used to break bones easily. I, I break things. I would drop things. And I think that we don't realize how much unawareness affects us, not just on a neurological level in terms of how we're speaking, how we're computing or outputting, but also on a, on a sensory level. Yeah. I don't think we've been taught in an early age to say, you know, I can't feel my feet right now. I can't feel the chair right now. I have so much, um, so many different sensations running through my body. And then my mind tries to add a story to it. And yeah. um, it, it leaves me when I get into that moment feeling very displeased with my reality. But it leads well into this question of, when the sages and the masters say suffering is there to help us, how would you like to break that statement down for us? Barrett described a couple of his themes of the work and the book that he writes and uh, what he helps clients with. And this was really a great, um, a great theme to look at that suffering is there to help us. And I think a lot of people would be like, Oh, I don't want to think about that. My life is hard. Oh, enough. Yeah. 
instead of seeing that it's a gift. Yeah. For me, the more aware or the more I rest in awareness, the more I see the role of suffering as it being there to help us because it's kind of like the role of pain. Pain is there to serve us. If I touch a hot stove, I need it to hurt or I'm going to continue to leave my hand on the hot stove. If I walk out the front door in the middle of winter without a jacket, I need there to be discomfort or I'm gonna keep going further and further away from what's natural and away from where, where actual life and, and happiness is unless I'm feeling that pain. And suffering is the same way. It, it's kind of like a compass for us. It shows us and it's, it's life reminding us that happiness isn't in that direction. It's, it's reminding us that what we're attached to and what we're constantly thinking about and our perspectives and our opinions aren't really serving us. They're creating more and more tension and more and more problems in our lives. So as we kind of slowly disidentify, even a fraction from our thoughts, the more we have agency and the more we see that, okay, well, where does, where does suffering and where do I get angry and where does reactivity surface and well up in me? And wherever it does, those are actually the parts of our lives that are limiting our freedom. Wherever I am reactive and triggered, that is a limiting factor to my freedom. That is a limiting factor to me being comfortably me at peace and at present with every situation and every person that comes my way. And the more free you get in meditation and with awareness, the more you want to live there all the time. So when you see the actual triggers that are keeping you from there, you see, wow, this is actually extremely helpful. It's kind of like if we went to a teacher or went on a retreat like we were talking about, which is where what we kind of originally wanted. We want this big awakening moment and we want this person outside of us to help us. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I encourage that for everybody. But at the end of the day, it's kind of the awakening journey is a very personal journey. And the meditative journey and the spiritual journey are deeply personal journeys that apply very specifically to us and our attachments and our triggers and our upbringing and, and our state of mind. So really when we see where suffering wells up in us, that would be the lesson that if we went on a retreat that we would be hoping to see. That would be the lesson if we went and sat down with a guru or a yogi that they would tell us. And we actually have the chance to do that for ourselves. The more and more we become aware, the more we see what is actually limiting our freedom and the more say we get actually in the quality of our life. I love that. I have to take a moment even to, to feel that because I'm curious if you want to chat on the reactive nature in terms of males versus females. I feel that and I... I'm passionate about it because I don't believe males have been given enough room. Uh, we were chatting about it this morning at breakfast to learn how to engage with that suffering. If boys are told, I, I know we didn't chat about this in the outline, but I, I just have to go there in my heart right now. They're not allowed to cry. Then they don't, they can't even go to the starting line to hit the finish line cry and then after you cry you know how i can soothe myself to get through that but if you're not even allowed to cry 
I see within myself because I'm one of three boys and all my cousins are boys and my tradition Judaism is very patriarchal this toxic masculinity that I can't soothe my own discomfort and this I, I can see in myself that I, I can become very pressuring towards others or very <clears throat> reactive and I feel that um, I don't know if you want to chat about as a man what it's been like to feel the expectations you have on yourself to not really maybe this is an assumption be allowed to work through feelings as much as females might have been allowed to or maybe haven't been allowed to I was called a bitch or I was called uh, bossy you know um, and I feel that this idea of reactivity um, to suffering comes from never being given permission to really communicate and interact with our suffering at an early age due to gender roles. Yeah, there's definitely, all of us have expectations placed upon us in different conditioning uh, as a whole. And then individuals uh, through gender roles, we kind of subdivide it even further down with the expectations uh, of what a boy should look like, of how a boy should act, of how a girl should act. And there, there are very subtly unconscious ways that those are reinforced in society. And the more you're around children, I think the more you kind of see it, especially if you become a little bit more present and a little bit more aware with what's going on. You see there's a subtle rejection of a boy that is being a little bit too emotionally fluid or is even fluid in the way he carries his body. And I'm sure there's the opposite with um, young yeah. girls. So there's definitely a lot of unconscious expectations and conditioning that older generations carry and that then that is superimposed on the next generation. But the beautiful thing about life to me is that it's all, the process is always correcting itself. So what we're experiencing right now in the ways that maybe the previous generation didn't fully serve us, now we're super aware of it. So we're not passing that down. Now we will pass down another problem. That's just part of life. But then the next generation will see that, acknowledge it, and correct it. So the next generation is always lifting us further and further towards the, the end goal, which is inclusive, being all-inclusive, being us together, not being individuals and not being divided, being us, one human family. I love that because it, it takes it even out of just talking about gender, the expectations that are put on us from our socioeconomic status, the traumas passed down, religious, all of the different categories of flavoring that we were given, we get to choose what we allow to have power over us, how you are expressing, you know, where our suffering lies, our triggers lie, our judgments lie, are our teachers and where we can choose to resolve and then gain more freedom. My friend Rebecca Magic, who I always love to get a, a shout out to, says every um, challenge is a chariot. So every time there is a tense moment or challenging issues, there's victory on the other side if we're willing to yeah. do the work. Um, and that we can choose as we pass on to our friends if we choose not to become parents or if we become parents of children 
what reactivity in trauma we want to pass on and we can't be perfect. Uh, I really love the Louise Hay. I heard it from Louise Hay uh, idea of we divinely choose our family, creed, nationality, gender, sexuality, um, parents and brothers to all be characters and roles in a play to learn our lessons this life that it couldn't be more perfect everything unfolding in front of me you know the things that i damn about myself if it came to financial abilities or not or if it came to you know disorders i had placed on myself at an early age around my learning or my nervous system regulation and that it's all really happening in our favor and taking back that perspective which i think you've given us a really great definition and kind of engagement with what meditation is to be aware and to regain perspective and it it reminds me of this taoist group that i studied with that i'd heard the buddhist philosophy which said the only it was like um now the enlightenment or something like the only truth is suffering something like that I've heard that, yeah. The life. Well, this group took it to the three enlightenments where life is suffering, life is transient, life is nothing. I was all right with the life is suffering because it's a body that I'm inhabiting and it's hard. Life is transient. This too shall pass. Things will change. Life is nothing I used to really struggle with until a couple years ago I realized, oh, if life is nothing, it's a blank canvas. I get to choose the story that I assign each thing, you know, that's happening to me. And, um, and I love these esoteric topics, but I also love that we're making them, you know, grounded in reality and our own experiences of applying these philosophies because I believe all great schools of thought from all traditions of light are teaching these things in different rituals and practices to engage the mind in presence um amen oh beautiful this uh leads us to the idea that our true nature is peace what have been some of the lessons in your life that have helped you discover this (laughs) yeah well once again i'd like to say discovering it and knowing it is is different from always abiding in it um i think for me, when I'm going through a, a rough patch in my life or a rough season, which, I, which I've been going through a little bit recently, which is a little ironic, and I think it's once again exactly what I needed in life because it was right when I finished a full manuscript of my book. And it's easy to think we're the full living embodiment of the words in this on the pages about peace and about happiness and about love. And life said, nope, that's not true. You're not, you're not that yet. Um, but I, I notice when I'm going through those seasons, particularly I have a rough time in the morning. It's when I first wake up. It's like my mind, my subconscious mind has risen into my conscious mind. And I've been living in the trauma or in the narrative that during the day I'm aware enough to kind of acknowledge but to release. And it feels like to me when I'm going through a rough time, it's when I'm asleep, my mind, it, it, it latches on to my mind. And I wake up in that space and fully re-identified with a narrative of lack, frankly, um, as I believe all suffering is coming from some form of lack that's experienced within ourselves. 
And for me, waking up in that space, once again, it's a wonderful opportunity to deepen our understanding and to deepen our freedom and our presence. What my routine has looked like for the last couple of months waking up in this space is I come down, I let my dog out, I make some coffee and I drink a cup of coffee and I sit uh, on, on my couch and we can call it meditation, but I'll just call it sitting quietly uh, with no distractions. And my mind is just this tangled web of discontentment and of lack that as long as I'm running around in the world and as long as I'm doing something in the world, I'm this doer that has to be in control and thinking, 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 I will never have an opportunity to release it. And I will live that, that day and every other day identified with that lack and with that tangled web that I woke up in. But sitting down and devoting time, for me, it's about an hour, but it doesn't have to be that for everybody. Devoting time to sitting with it and to dropping resistance to what is there. Because if we try to correct it, that's just another layer of tension and another layer of resistance that leads us further away from what we want. So sitting there in non-reactivity, like we talked about being non-reactive to the world, being non-reactive to our own thoughts, and sitting in that space, and the longer that we sit in that space, the more we start to see a distance that is there. The more we start to see there's a gap in our thinking that we weren't aware of. There's a gap in the narrative of lack that's always going. And we give that gap our attention. And so when I'm sitting on the couch, I, the gap comes and I give the gap my attention. And the more I rest my awareness in that gap, the more it starts to spread and the thoughts and the clouds start to clear away. And what's actually beneath that is the awareness that we talked about. And it isn't necessarily that, okay, without the thoughts, then I'm, I'm accessing this new state of peace that's coming to me. It's that without the thoughts, peace is what is underneath. Peace is the background to the thoughts. Awareness is the background to all of the experience. And resting in that, the first thing every morning, is a beautiful way to be able to actually go out into the world and be able to love despite suffering that's going on, be able to love and serve and be available to the world despite the fact that we have this intense drama that is still going on in our lives because it doesn't instantly rid it from our lives. It doesn't mean that I will wake up tomorrow and I won't experience the same thing, but it does mean that I have some say in it and it does mean that I know, even when I get attached to the narrative, that there is still a background of peace in, this, in the state of lack and in my own reactivity because I've given it so much of my attention when I'm by myself, I carry a percentage of it out into the world. And the more of my attention I give to it, the more it overshadows the reactivity. And that discipline is really training the awareness muscle that a lot of us haven't been given the opportunity to learn how to train when we're young. And there's a lot of research coming out about our neurophysiology and how it's developed in early ages when we're dissociating a lot because we're uncomfortable and we're not given tools of how to start to Victor Frankl's work, you know, logos therapy, a man's search for meaning, stimulus and response between stimulus and response. There is a, a gap of choice and not often taught how to really expand that gap 
expand that gap to, uh, to re re reactivity into our response to that stimulus. And a lot of us think a stimulus has to be an external thing, but oftentimes it's an right. internal thing. And I'm very similar in when I wake up. It, I loved how you described it because it's a very foggy, dense world. And I don't really know where I am. And my partner has even made this joke like, you'll wake up and it kind of looks like you don't know if you're in love with any, me anymore and I have to work to earn you back. And I'm like, oh no, you can see through me. I wake up frightened sometimes to come back to the day. And, um, and I've really been working on it as well these last couple of months. Sometimes I don't have the opportunity. Do I want to go put on Spice Girls and jump on my rebounder? Or do I want to be like a sloth and be lazy and angry? I can see the two options. Sometimes I don't have like even a choice of two thoughts. Sometimes it's just, I'm a sloth. I can't do this. Oh, life. And I have to really take the time to, I do wrestle with it. I know. I mean, Israel, my tribe, <laughs> Israel means to wrestle, but like how you said, sometimes wrestling. Great, great is plug. What? Great plug right there. That's oh, <laughs> plug. Yeah. Plug. Well, it just came through. Like I do sometimes have to wrestle with it. I go and do my, I put two chairs by a tree outside and I have to sit in between the chairs and coach myself. Cause I'm like, I have the tools to manage this. If I can coach other people, I can coach myself. So yeah. I'll sit and have some breakthrough that way. Or what I will do is sometimes try not to attach a story to it and just allow it to be sensations and go on the rebounder and jump and let my head clear. Um, the next question was going to be examples. So you gave a great example. So I'm giving a couple or I'll sit with some, um, like a flower essence tincture and I'll sit with my feet in the earth and just kind of let things settle like a snow globe yeah. in my system as well. Sometimes I need to start the morning faster or slower. And in my relationship with myself and my partner, I'm learning a lot about the female hormonal cycles that I don't think were taught to us that um, we're going through each week a different kind of activation of neurochemistry as well as um, metabolic uh, metabolic kind of our system is changing each week as women. And I don't think we've been empowered with those changes yeah. and being, you know, cyclical creatures that die and are reborn. And so working with that, I think as many tools and flavors and languages that we can find as possible to make a connection point, syndacy, I'll use that plug, is what I yearn for. And I don't really have, I was set in a, um, an environment where I wanted someone to teach me what's the right way, give me the homework, give me right. the list of rules. Right. And really discounting the complexity and the magnificence of my specific system and that it might need a little Mandarin here. It might need a little Hebrew. It might need a little English and that there's a lot of different things that I'd have to adjust to find my kind of happy medium and my balance of engaging with the world. Yeah. But um, what I also would love to say about, um, so I was speaking of there's so many tools possible and I don't think we should, something important for me because I was in groups where it was like one way or the highway or my mother grew up where it was like, you'll be damned if you don't do it this way. And yeah. so, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I struggle with that. I think we should use all things that are at, at our disposal and not judge. But when you said 
I teach this, I wrote this book on all this great stuff. And then I had a, a season of some hardship. It's kind of like praising the suffering again, because would you have been able to give us such a beautiful story of how you integrated your tools if it wasn't for coming down from the mountain like we can't stay on the top of the mountain forever where people have their big visions and enlightenments and downloads we have to come down from the mountain and integrate it and so i was so grateful that you were so transparent with your honest experience as a human being um, traveling through the earth having to really use your skills and i think that people have these fantastical ideas about practitioners or authors and i'm really grateful that you went there well, and we're, from my perspective, we're kind of sold those ideas, unfortunately, especially online. Um, Let's go here. Let's do it. We're sold these ideas that like, I will reach this state of awareness or I will have this enlightenment experience and I will never have to feel down again. And that is just fundamentally not true. Just like you talked about, it's natural for the body to cycle through. And the body is actually different every day. It's kind of regenerating and replacing itself and dying and regenerating every single day. It's natural for us to experience ups and downs. And we shouldn't reject those. And actually, the rejection is the unnatural part. The trying to endlessly strive and scratch and claw to correct unhappiness and problems and light tension that's in our lives, that's actually the problem. Because winter changes, summer changes, fall changes. All of life and all of nature and all of the world is constantly in a flux. And it's natural for us in our bodies and in our minds to experience that too. Now, if we know awareness, we can be more grounded and we can actually have you know, our anchor down so that we're not drifting off at sea to wherever you know, the world is taking us or our body or our thoughts are taking us. But it's still natural that the water is going gonna, is gonna to wave. Um, and there's a real disservice, I think, from a lot of, in a lot of the spiritual community, community that doesn't acknowledge that and people that aren't honest about it. Um, and, I, you know, at the same time, June, what do I know? I'm not living in their bodies. Maybe they, maybe they have reached this place of bliss. But that's not true to me, and I've never talked to somebody that has arrived at that space. Yeah, I like um, Tony Robbins said, I never have a bad day. He's like, I say that now and I mean it, but he said, I do have state changes and I do have bad moments, but I have tools to get out of them. Yeah. And I think I'm really happy that you're going into this topic because the commercialism and the, um, <laughs> the world of gaining more and more and more 24 seven instant gratification is frightening. Um, what we've been sold, the bag of goods of instant gratification means that I think about it in terms of an illness. When I stopped um, being as reliant on pharmaceuticals, antibiotics, such things. And I bring up my partner because I felt like before I met him, um, I was doing a lot of things in like martial arts training rooms and therapy offices. And then it was all of a sudden like, whoa, I have another mad scientist who's like sitting next to me and we're like dissecting problems all the time. And we both come from different languages and backgrounds and he sees things I'd never see. 
he was recovering from this illness, um, illness, no, it was like a flu for three weeks a year ago. And I really wanted to soften his pain. But there was a shedding that occurred in him and an emotional as well as a microbiomial level that then he was stronger than I because of his life experience around natural medicine, traditional medicine, truly traditional medicine. And I know that the power of his gut, which is much stronger than mine, because I was put on pharmaceuticals from a very early age, stripping my gut, not realizing that there's so many different bugs in there and they need to balance each other out. It's the war of the bugs. He has a much stronger metabolism and mind around that than I do because he and his mother, because men are raised by, you know, boys are raised, we raise boys. I hate it when, (laughs) I'm sorry, this is another plug because I hate it when women are anti-men. I'm like, we raise the boys. His mother and his upbringing, you know, showed him that he has a strong body and he's going to get through it. There is not a pill that can truly teach us the lesson of resiliency that our immune system needs, in my opinion, um, because of the way science works and the way that we must, like, we must do push-ups every day to make our biceps stronger. And, um, I think it's easier to sell that way because it's working to uh, a lower part of ourselves that want to get off or want this instant feeling of relief. But the truth around health, vitality, lifestyle change, true uh, remission for people and recovery process, it's a daily process. And um, I also think it's quite funny because I got makeup lessons as a girl and when I started studying my hormone rhythm, that the way I'm taught to wear my makeup is fake. I don't really wear makeup often. Um, To the male eye, it shows that I'm ovulating. We ovulate three to five days, really only 24 hours, but the cervical mucus changes three to five days a month. So every day I'm supposed to look like my body is primed, emotionally primed, neurologically primed to be interacted with in that way. And it's, it's so false, but it's in every aspect of our society. And 10, no, more than maybe 15 years ago, I wrote a paper on body dysmorphic disorder. And I'm talking a lot about it now because then the literature was very different than it is today. Um, and then body dysmorphic disorder, BDD, was someone's not coming out of the home because they think they have a beak for a nose or Michael Jackson who's addicted to plastic surgery. Now, all of my friends in Korea, they never post a picture without editing it. I'm hearing that clothing brands are using AI models instead <laughs> of real people. Well, it's very frightening what these young girls are um, being, we're, we're being, and then males, you know, with porn and it's just, our minds are really confused. <laughs> We're confused with yeah. what's reality. And, um, and I just, I'm glad that we went there because what, what we're chatting more about in this interview, and I'm looking at our next question, which is awareness is our greatest tool for change. Um, and how we'd break this down for beginners. You know, you said happiness is an inside job. And, um, we can, we can get all the awards and the honoring and the sexy guy on our hip, but we might not have the ability to manage our mind to enjoy that day. You know, like yesterday, the example yeah. I gave with that anniversary day, 
and I was reaching instead of being present. Yeah, for sure. Um, as far as awareness being the greatest tool for change, you know, we can't really address anything that's going on in our lives until we're aware of it. You can't address a problem until you're aware that there is a problem. And that takes a, a lot of times to see in full clarity the nature of a problem or something that needs correcting. It takes us stopping the reaching process. It takes us pausing from what I, where I think we all are and where we're conditioned to be, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, it's, it's ironic that it's a pursuit because it's the pursuit of happiness that keeps us from actually being happy because we're constantly in that reaching state. And to actually be aware and to correct our problems, we have to stop reaching out to them and stop identifying with the reaching. That's beautiful that your partner was able to identify that the other day when y'all, or yesterday. This when morning. Y'all, oh, this morning. Beautiful. Uh, how topical. Yes. Uh, that, that's so beautiful because it does take the acknowledgement of, okay, we need to pause and return back to ourselves and return back to this moment. And the more we do that, the more we can see what needs correcting. And the more we can see, well, I've been conditioned that this needs correcting, that I need this job, that I need this thing, that I need to look this way or dress this way or wear, wear makeup this way. Those things aren't really what need correcting. Those things are just our conditioning, but when we're constantly reaching, we're identified with them. So returning back home, having the awareness of there's a problem here, and then it simply takes a willingness to address it. So awareness and, will and willingness are the two steps in my journey that lead to change. And at the end of the day, it's my awareness of an issue and my willingness to stop an old pattern that's created a problem for me or to withdraw from a particular situation or relationship that isn't serving me, that's going to lead me down the best path for me to be me and to be me in every moment that I'm out in the world. Yes. And I, and I like that. I, I, I want to be transparent and I have a, a nice man who he has the, um, he has a gut, he has a strong He's a strong constitution for me to be as open as I am as a person. He's not, you know, very weak or insecure in that regard that I like to call out all the women listening to this and say, okay, you want to go to this perfect trail and you want it to be all these gold colored leaves and you want to get pictures and you want to have a cake and you want to blow out a candle for one year. And then you have a, partner who's like a sage wizard who's like we should really just be going home and just go within and come back to ourselves and what you just said have the willingness to address it but then there's the monkey mind of my younger self who isn't stepping up as a woman who wants to really you know meet her king is like stuck in the what ifs in the reaching and I just want to call out all of the women who might relate to this story that I'm telling and say are you that willing to step up? I'm in it today in this, this is real time um, to be like, am I willing to address the uncomfortable things so that true resolution can come? Am I willing to cry or feel like a failure and in front of the person that I want to think that I have it all together? That's a really frightening place to be. And, and I, I think that every day is a challenge 
if we choose to be in relationship because I feel that all those in our lives, especially closest to us, are in agreement with the universe of our relationship with God unfolding. And, um, and I'm happy that I feel, I feel brave to share <laughs> my own process that I'm undergoing right now, even though it's a lot to feel on a sensory level. Yeah. And, um, and it's much easier for me in my conditioning to just shut down. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and make snide comments or make it a joke or make it act like it's nothing. But, um, who, who wants to be seen in their weakness? And so I get to work on that even after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's worth it. It is worth it. I mean, that because at the end of the day, that's going to be the most beautiful relationship in the world. Those are the most beautiful relationships because what's inside of you starts matching what's inside of this other person. And you can't ever really get there or get close to that if you're not willing to be vulnerable and to, you know, be, be honest in that vulnerability about what you're feeling and about everything that's going on in your life. I mean, I resonate with that in my own relationships. I think I, I have a tendency to, or at least have in the past, uh, I don't want to say force transparency, but I try to draw that out of partners. And sometimes people just aren't there and they're not ready for it yet. But I guess this would go more towards the male aspect or the person fulfilling that role. You know, if the person's not there, or they're not ready and they're not at that point where they're willing about this particular topic, you've got to be a safe space for them too. You've got to be a safe space for that just as you would have been for their vulnerability. And that's why I wanted to bring up the male, the male side of things, because I think males in the environment of how males have operated, they push each other. And then I have male and female inside me. So I've become very male in sometimes how I interact with colleagues, with how I interact with my beloved, that I've become, like you said, what word did you just use? How you try and <laughs> not force, but bring out transparency. Yeah, and I said forced. Forced is <laughs> I would like I would like for it to have been inviting. But I don't think that's that hasn't been my tendency in the past. Yeah, it's so real because I do it, he does. I mean, I just I think these kind of conversations are needed and um Yeah. And I'm This is like this is therapeutic for us, I feel like just talking about this. Yeah, I'm like I'm excited to have dinner so you can hear how I'm the bad guy. And he can tell you what he had to experience, you know, um, on the other side. Zoom me in. Zoom me in. Yeah, exactly. On the other <laughs> side, me being this little uh, talk show person. The whole <laughs> spectrum is uh, what I think I'm, I'm after this life. And that means when you use the word vulnerability, a lot of my clients say, I don't know how to be vulnerable. I don't want to be vulnerable. It's confusing. And for me, getting honest and... that, But that right there, June, what a vulnerable admission that is. What a vulnerable admission it is to say to another person, I don't know how to be vulnerable. That's like the first step to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I was chatting with a client the other day, and that's what she said. And I, I want to bring up this topic of vulnerability, like, 
how to be vulnerable often takes feeling a lot. And, um, and I'm excited this, this topic is male and female. We, we both identified. I, don't, I didn't even ask you. That's your preferred pronoun, male, right? Yeah. But I'm like, we're going here real quick. Um, of like, I used to feel like uh, a cow master told me, do you feel afraid to be honest? Because vulnerability is really honesty due to the fact that your energy system or your sensations sensations within your body that you aren't willing to feel and you were told you're not allowed to cry or you're not allowed to raise your voice so that they're like a water hose you're a water hose and you have a fire hose of water like coming through it and that you're just gonna break i used to feel like that and i still do sometimes when i have to get really honest and vulnerable because I don't want to break in front of someone else. And it could be someone like that I love, or it could be someone that I just want to be my friend. And I just want to get to know someone new. And I don't know if they're really gonna like all of me, um, all of my pieces yeah. that could burst or something. What has the vulnerability journey been like for you? I, you know, June, I think that the vulnerability journey is the same journey towards happiness and towards self-discovery and, and presence and all of that. Because if we're not willing to be vulnerable, we're not willing to be ourselves. And so it does take some initial discomfort. And, you know, just because you wade through and you're vulnerable in one relationship, it doesn't mean that you're now instantly vulnerable or you're comfortable being vulnerable in all relationships and in all aspects of your life. But if we're not willing to start being vulnerable with the world, then we're never going to be able to be ourselves, our true selves, our true authentic selves with the world and with any of our relationships. So naturally, we're going to uh, wrestle with feeling lonely and feeling detached and distant from what's in front of us. And we're going to feel repressed because we're never allowing what's inside of us to actually come out. And I think for me, the biggest the biggest barrier that I have towards vulnerability is that I have a tendency towards perfectionism and towards idealism. And so for me, vulnerability and for all of us is speaking from the heart as opposed to the head. And the way that my mind and my body works is I, I'm very analytical and I want to be articulate so much that that desire to be articulate and to be able to articulate what I'm feeling and what's going on for me is actually the biggest barrier to me being vulnerable because it gets me in my head. And then I start referring to the past and about how I felt before and about how I felt in this situation. And then I start searching for how to express this. And instantly when I start that, I leave the person in front of me. I leave the moment. I leave myself and I'm not able to access actually what's true which is how I'm feeling in this moment and how I can express what is there in this moment. And so my journey into transparency, and I still have many ways to go, but it's really been one of leaving the head and entering the heart to be able to actually speak to not non-eloquently, non-perfectly, raw, unfiltered, and it may come out completely jumbled and it may not mean a thing, but you're nev you'll never be able to 
rest in your own vulnerability and presence with people until you're able to at least start that journey and start taking those steps of speaking from the heart. Yeah, I really relate to the idea of um, not wanting to verbalize because I feel like if it doesn't come out clear and concise, the words will be used against me. Oh, yeah. Oh, tell me about it. But I'm grateful because, you know, my partner's like, if you want to be in a relationship with me, you can't hold your voice. Too many women hold their voice, their voices, and that it's allowed to come out raw and messy. And he's my greatest teacher. Um, and I, I just, I love how you, you express that because I really, I really resonate. And I, and I really, really want to resonate with anyone listening to this. I don't know if this is still on. Oh, this is still on. Um, you said that so, so surprised. <laughs> well, it's because it runs out after an hour. <laughs> I, got you. Um, I, I, I want to resonate with anyone who's afraid, who's afraid that they will be, their words will be used against them. They won't be given a safe space. And maybe they weren't as children. And I think a, a lot of the time when you said you refer to the past in your mind, the childlike part of me, the immature-like part of me takes over and tries to protect itself instead yeah. of believing that I can have a breakthrough and that I'm an adult and I can soothe my own pain. And there's a lot of identity de development psychology and, and stuff that comes in there with trauma. But I honor you for your journey and I thank you for being on the path. And um, I think we have a couple more questions. We have a little more time. I'm just going to have to shut this little thing off when it ends. Uh, just to uh, wrap that up, because I think this is a really important point. You know, it, we do feel like being raw and being vulnerable may get us rejected by particular people and, and in particular relationships. And there's a reality that, you know, I'm not for everybody. You're not for everybody. That's just the reality of being an individual. But at the end of the day, what I've found is the more that I can actually speak from the heart, regardless of what's on my heart and regardless of what comes out, the more that I invite other people to actually speak from the heart as well, the more that we do that, the more that we're vulnerable, we invite vulnerability into the world. And it's beautiful to form these deep, relationships, even if they're just surface level, even if you don't really hang out with this person a lot, or it, it can even be with the cashier when you're checking out. But the more that we're able to be a safe space and to, to really own our own problems, to own our own emotions and our own uh, traumas and what's going on and the vulnerability to share them in the space that's in front of us, the more we really invite others to step into that sharing space too, which a lot of people I feel like don't even give themselves that space. They don't even give themselves enough space to be heard and to sit with the vulnerability and the drama that's going on with them, much less voice it to the, to the world. So actually it becomes like you inviting them into a meditative space by you sharing your own shit and being there with them and saying, hey, it's okay to say this. In fact, the thing that's not okay is not saying this. The thing that's not okay is me asking you how your day is or us like really getting into it and you kind of dancing around it and feeling like you can't really let it out. 
So it's such a beautiful thing to be able to be that for other people. And naturally your relationships start feeling so much more fulfilling because much like uh, your brand is all centered on, you're, you're engaging in true connection. It's not a connection that's just about the mind or just about opinions or just about he said, she said. It's about what's going on and what is in my heart in this moment and you reflecting what is in your heart in that moment. And that's where true connection and true sharing takes place. Yeah. And, and you're, you're having me think about um, something my partner and I've been chatting about, which is photos and social media and sex appeal. And he said, you know, when I met you, he knew I was wearing a wig the moment we met. And he was like, you had like no hair on your head and you would wear these wigs and you had just broken your back. You could hardly like move, but that was so attractive. And I think a lot of us now are yeah, very, that's beautiful. you know, he, he, he is very special. We are so connected to wanting acceptance, wanting approval. And I'm there with those people struggling, learning my lessons through it. And we're forgetting where we, where we truly feel intimate and um, where we truly feel safe to be intimate, which is the whole reason I think people want to connect and, be sexy or be good enough or all of these questions that a lot of women I work with have. And um, I think there's a funny quote in Eat, Pray, Love, like, have you ever taken your clothes off and someone reject you when you're going to make love? And the woman is like, no, they don't reject you because they're there with a naked woman in the room. They're, they've been accepted. And I think that, that there's um in the air for me this week, a lot of com conversation around attraction, beauty, sex appeal. And it really comes down to vulnerability, raw, authentic. He, my partner's an artist and he keeps telling me and I'm not hearing him because <laughs> I'm a slow learner. It's about being raw and being real. And I think a lot of us women, especially, there's a lot of pressure. I don't know the pressure of being a man um, on looking a certain way and having a certain shape and and so I'm really happy we went here. Thank you. Yeah, I thought that was beautiful. Um, so I'm kind of thinking about how we'd like to end. Um, and I think it, it kind of goes to this, um, this question I ask a lot in the podcast, which is how you would view sensitivity as a superpower rather than a crippling force as a male. Um, and we're, we're getting into that now, but if there's anything you want to add to that. What a question. Wow. Can you hit me with that one more time? Of course. Um, this comes from my friend. Her name is Dr. Christy Garner, and she sees her sensitivity as a superpower. Mm -hmm. And I had always seen my sensitivity as a crippling force. Yeah. And I think we go around the world and we're putting on these facades of really being okay, not really being honest or raw or vulnerable. And like you said, you know, people, we can't really be raw, honest and vulnerable and they fan our flame through it. Aren't really for us, but, um, how you, how you started to view your sensitivity as a superpower rather than a crippling force, all the feelings and thoughts and sensations that came through you that might've felt like a burden. Yeah, uh, it can feel that way. But at the end of the day, 
it's not about being detached from what we're experiencing and being detached from our thoughts and our feelings. Um, that's a very subtle form of self-rejection and it leads to a very impersonal experience of life because the, for all the beauty of awareness, awareness in and of itself nakedly is not a very personal experience. Awareness is the awareness in me is the same awareness that is in you. But there's nothing, there's no real personhood, there's no real personality in it. And so exclusively being that awareness and rejecting our personhood is, you know, it, it, there's peace to it, but it's, it's a, it's a half, it has a half-life. It's very limited. So in the practice of meditation, I know this is kind of going a little bit deeper than the question was, but in the practice of actually applying meditation, there's definitely worth and a particular phase and steps about disidentifying from thoughts and from things that lead to sensitivity only because we've been wholly wrapped up in the sensitivity and losing ourselves in it. But the next step has to happen and that's going back out into sensory experience, back out into the world and back into our bodies and into our minds. And there, I, I love that sensitivity is a superpower because it's how we actually are interfacing and meeting the world. If we don't have any sensitivity to the people and the events and the situations that we're a part of, what's the point in even really being alive? We've removed all, all interesting, adventurous qualities to life. And so sensitivity itself is a superpower. And specifically in relationships, the more sensitive I am to where you are, the more sensitive and the more awareness that I have about this moment, the more I can actually relate to you in the way that you need to be related. And the more that I can join and match you in the space that you're at. So sensitivity is, uh, can get a bad rap, but at the end of the day, it's, it has to be there. If a meditative or spiritual journey is completely lacking sensitivity, there's something wrong with an individual. It is like having an enlightenment experience or a deep meditative experience and then retreating to the woods to forego society. It's easy to romanticize that. I actually romanticized that for a very long time, but that's a limited freedom because it says I can't be free and I can't be happy out into the world. So I have to leave the world. And so embracing our sensitivity has to happen. It's in, at the same time, it's embracing our sensitivity is embracing our humanity, our humanness and actually what's happening in life. Yes. And I didn't grow up with a lot of stories about Jesus, but one I was told when I was young was the son of God embodied in a flesh form to feel all that we feel. Mm, and yeah. I resonated with that, um, that idea that we can be divine nature and contextualize the feelings and emotions in a way that is for our highest good. And I think for many people, he's an example of that and many other things that I wish I knew more about, but I, um, I like the piece you said about freedom as well, because I think male people who kind of identify male really yearn for freedom as women yearn for emotional safety and yeah. paradigms that we, and archetypes that we live in. But um, I really had 
a personal experience of wanting to elevate out of my sensory system for many years when I was studying a, a certain mindfulness training. And when I fell 25 feet and broke my back two years ago, it was that exact experience of I had to come back and root as deep as I am high. I had to yeah. really come back into my system and, you know, I had a lot of nerve damage. Mm. I had to turn this left leg back on and my belly and back and glutes were numb. And I would lay in the tub the years prior and like say, I'm beautiful. I love myself and do mirror work, trying to kind of gain perspective around my body image. And then, you know, to put into context, after my accident, I was laying in the tub and I placed my hands on my belly and I couldn't feel them. I can't feel my belly under my hands. And I'm like, just come back to me. That, that embodiment um, that you, you speak of around engaging with this world with awareness that we can choose how we perceive our sensitivity. And I love how you, you put that into context. Um, so I think I'd like to end with asking if you'd like to say something about how happiness is an inside job, um, which is, I know a lot of, maybe, I don't know a lot, actually, what your book might be about and chat a little bit on your book as well. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, just the other day, I ran into somebody in the grocery store, a person that used to be in my life and a person that I've wanted back in my, in my life for some time. I don't want to get into too many details out of respect for her, but <clears throat> I, I saw her, walked by her a little bit from a distance, but close enough for us to acknowledge one another. Um, and she looked very unhappy and she also didn't make any eye contact with me. And I thought walking away, well, she's unhappy. Clearly she would like me back and clearly she would like my, my light and my personality back in her life because I'm the perfect yada, yada, yada. And then I felt a little bit uplifted. I was like, yeah, she's unhappy. So uh, clearly she would, she's open to, um, to me and to, to changing some things. And then I get home and later that night I'm thinking, but yeah, but she didn't even look you in the eye. Clearly she wants nothing to do with you. And that's just a small microcosm of how we're always giving meaning to our experience. And we can give it even to one particular experience. We can give absolutely any meaning that we want. And the meditative journey is starting to be a little bit more conscious in the meaning that we're attaching to our experience. Because it is experience is always coming at us. And the more and more we get involved with it and we're not conscious creators of our experience, the more likely we're to create bad experiences because the mind gravitates to what it wants to correct. It gravitates to, you know, back in the day, we don't have enough food. We need to solve this problem for the winter. It doesn't gravitate towards, look at this, look at this food we have for tonight. It needs to gravitate for survival purposes towards, okay, but what about the winter? Now that our physical needs are taken care of, the mind still runs to the negative when it's left unconscious because it's still caught in that survival mode. And we experience actually the same exact way as it, it's been said that I will experience if you, sorry, I'm getting all over the, all over the place. If you challenge one of my belief systems, I will have the same inner experience as if a tiger just came out on my path. 
So the physical threat that we're experiencing inside of us is the same as the psychological threat that we're experiencing just in day-to-day life, having our opinions and preferences challenged. But that story for me is a reminder that happiness is an inside job because it's all about the meanings that we associate to our life and to our experience. And we can give whatever meaning to anything that we want. Exactly. You know, we, th- we think that death is always a bad thing and that it's inherently uh, worthy of feeling like it's a tragedy. But there are many cultures all across the world that celebrate death and that, that welcome death. And so it shows that even the biggest trauma of the human experience, dying, can act, is actually pliable. We can turn it into a reason for celebration as opposed to a reason for despair. So all of experience is up to us to be conscious creators and choosing what meaning we're going to give. So happiness is an inside job and so is unhappiness. So is all of our experience. They're all happening inside of us. It doesn't really matter how much money I have or what relationship I'm in, or if I own the whole world, if I'm unhappy inside of myself, what, what good is, are all of those things for me? Yeah. I was thinking about, I love um, the idea of not assuming because I was going to assume how that story was going to go. When you saw her in the uh, supermarket, I was going to assume something else, but if you had been in her life, cause I have been a girl like that where I, I got a guy that I wanted or someone who was the job that I wanted or all the things that I thought I wanted. But if she doesn't have the mindset or ability to manage her mind, to enjoy your bright spirit in her world, then how can she really receive? Like if she doesn't have the ability like I have in, in many points in my life to be present and to receive the goodness then you know what good would it do if you were there or not it's really her responsibility to be open to receive and experience your nature and the good that you might want to bring to her but if we can't be in a state of receiving anything you know the food in front of us or an amazing partner or, or friend you know that's really on us we can be given everything yeah, I, I feel obligated to say real quick, uh, you know, I was not perfect in that in that past in that relationship. So I don't I don't want any of my friends or anybody that knows me to watch this and think, oh yeah, because you're this light that's always great to everybody in all of your relationships, and that's just you in every corner of your life. That's not true. So I just feel a strong need to acknowledge that you get a, you get a notch for humility. Um, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to be vulnerable. And thank you for being honest. I think that all things are repairable. Beautiful. Even if someone is offended, I don't think that was your intention at all. No. Um, and um, I was a friend, so I was just like, I'm going to call him out and say, even if you were that, I don't know if you could receive it because it's happened to me before where I can't. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I've yeah. been in those situations too, for sure. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard when we can't manage our minds. And that's why we do the work we do and we try and help people do the same. I like how real we got in this interview. Very needed. I love it. June, this is the type of interview and the type of chat that I've actually been searching for and haven't had many of because I think 
a lot of them don't get into the actual personal elements and the day-to-day elements of our lives. And I think that's what has made our chat so beautiful and so powerful and has had us so engaged in it because it's deeply personal to us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I, I attribute that to my study in oral history with Jerry Alburelli from Columbia's Oral History Archives. And he kind of taught me journalism usually had an agenda and oral history was story driven. So wherever the interviewee went, we, we went because oh, yeah. we think the story is supposed to be about. It's what the person we're asking to tell the story is truly about. And it also has to do with readiness, like you were saying, willingness and something I'm constantly working on in my own life um, to just be able to feel the feelings to go new places in a public platform. There's a lot of context around professionalism. There's a lot of context about, um, you know, privacy and, and, uh, you know, we all have our public personas on social media. Um, and I was telling Barrett before I got online, you know, I, I have the, the, the name, Syndacy as my last name, my company name. My family hasn't really asked me to talk about my childhood development. (laughs) They haven't really asked to do that online. And the truth is that when I tell a story, it might not be the truth because there are a million truths. It might just be how I experienced it from the lens that I was in at that time. And I've had to really wrestle with that. the yearning I have to be authentic and authentic and honest and then know that there's a lot of other people in my life. And for me to say, it might not have been what really happened. It was a lesson I learned from it then. If someone's frustrated with me, I might say like, now I'm learning a new lesson now that you're frustrated with me. Um, and let's go there and see like we're, we're not owning our parts of the street. And it's a constant willingness to, to feel feel things and expand our capacity to feel. And that's my prayer each morning. As we end, I'm amazed this thing is still on. It usually only goes for an hour. Um, Would you like to give us a little snapshot of your book? Um, If it's coming out soon or if it's not, or if they- Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know specifically when the book will come out. I'm still wrestling with if I wanna self-publish versus go through a publisher, but I am going to very soon reach out to publishers and send them a manuscript because I feel before I make that decision, I should at least see what my options are. Yeah. Um, As far as what the book's about, I mean, I think this whole chat is kinda, is what the whole book is about. I opened up talking about what meditation was and the kind of empty glass analogy. And to me, the the clearest thing the book is about is touching that empty glass, freeing ourselves from the traumas and from the dramas uh, and identifications um, that come with life when we're constantly moving around. And it's how to touch that. It's three... Primarily three different ways how to touch that part of ourselves and then how to go out into the world and embody that Beautiful really peeling the layers. I love that and and we need more Examples of how to do that and how to engage with that process because it is a process of sensitizing a different kind of sensitizing um, to 
to growth and um, change and freedom. Where can they find you? And um, what are you offering right now? Maybe just content or if they want to contact you. So I'm always very open. I love it when people contact me. Uh, it's been beautiful to see how many people do. And I love forming deep connections with people in this space, whether they want to just talk or whether they just have questions. Um, you can find all my information at exhalemeditation.co or you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram, but both of those links are on my website. And I also have a email list that you can join where I send out weekly emails that are in this space and about how we're actually living it and applying it in our lives. Awesome. Well, thank you, Barrett. Thank you all for watching the personal, local, global wellness show on Syndacy Wellness. Um, this was a very, very heartwarming chat. This was beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Of course. Well, if you'd like a place where there's never a dull moment, choose the right flavor of wellness for you. Syndacy Wellness hosts the personal local global wellness show.